Today's a good day, everyone. I officially hit my threshold of 5,000 downloads on this podcast. All thanks to you guys. I appreciate it. Please make sure you comment and give this podcast five stars. And if you want to recommend it to a friend, why not? All right, let's get started. So last week I went to a San Diego Padres game. I actually got some neat tickets. One of our parishioners was kind enough to provide two tickets. So I went myself and my other brother priest, Father Simon, we're big Padres fans. So we went there, you know, and of course we're wearing our clerics at the Padres game. We're not those priests who take off their clerics when they're not in church. Uh, because, you know, we, you know what we actually call that? We call that civvies. So we call anything aside from our clerics civilian clothing. So people don't, you know, really notice that we're priests and don't draw attention to ourselves. But anyway, we're wearing our clerics like we do everywhere. And it was actually a really funny experience because we had tickets that were right behind the Padres dugout. And, you know, anytime there was a change in inning, you know, the Padres would come back into the dugout and some of these Padres players, you know, like Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, Jerkson Profar, they would take double looks at our clerics, you know, being surprised. I mean, I guess it's not every day where you see a priest at a Padres game or a baseball game, but it was neat, you know. And it was also a topic for a discussion with the people that were sitting around us because they didn't think that priests are allowed to go to baseball games and have a hot dog and enjoy their time there. Well, we are, if you didn't know that. So we're human beings also, and we like things like sports and uh, other hobbies. So it was a good time. Anyway, enough about me. So today I'm going to be talking about the Basilica Hymn for the seventh Sunday of the Apostles. So in the Basilica hymn, it says that the holy apostles taught one perfect confession in the Holy Spirit and uprooted and abolished from the earth the thorns and weeds that the evil one planted in the world. Okay, let's stop there because this is a Basilica hymn that's longer than usual. So what I want to zero in on here is what the apostles uprooted. So it says that it's thorns and weeds that the evil one planted. So what are the thorns and what are the weeds that he planted? First, let's look at the nature of thorns. Thorns are something that are damaging not only to human beings, but also animals, right? Because thorns cause penetration that hurts. You know, I don't know if anyone has... Uh, been stuck by a thorn, maybe in a rose bush or whatever it is, but it's not fun. You know, it hurts. And I think one of the main thorns that the evil one planted that hurts the most for a lot of people is the damage and hurtfulness that could come from our families and loved ones. Because there is a reason why when something happens, a dispute happens with a family member, There's a reason why that hurts more than a stranger doing something to harm you. And that's because you expect love from these people. You don't necessarily, I mean, because we live in a fallen world, we don't necessarily expect love from other people. We expect 
kindness and courtesy and just being a decent human being. But when it comes to family problems and getting hurt by our families and relatives, I think that's the thorn that the evil one planted and that the author of this basilicum is talking about because it really hurts when that happens. It hurts when we have problems in our families and the division that the evil one causes in families is that thorn. So we have to remember something. Satan, it goes against all forms of unity. So when it comes to unity, that's when he starts attacking. So there becomes division. And we can see this in institutions. We can see this in the family. We can see this all over. And one of the reasons why there is that division is because sin is involved. Whether it has to do with verbal abuse, physical abuse, uh, neglect of a person, not really being thoughtful about another person's emotions. So this was the mission of the apostles, to uproot the thorns and to plant something else in replacement of that. And I'll get to that in a second. But now I want to talk about the weeds. So what are weeds by their nature? Weeds are you know, typically worthless. Weeds uh, cause a nuisance for something else that has more worth to it. For example, if someone has a garden, right, and they're planting fruit trees or vegetables, whatever it may be, and weeds start growing among them, it causes a nuisance. It makes it harder for that gardener to uh, work with those plants, work with those trees. And it requires time to pull out those weeds and pay attention to those trees and fruits or whatever it may be paying attention to when the weeds grow so you can pull them out right away so they don't get too high and cause a bigger nuisance than they already are. And I think the weeds that the evil one planted in the world and that the apostles were combating is sin because sin acts exactly like the weeds that cause nuisance because What sin does is it grows tall like weeds, where we're not able to see the good that's in front of us, like the trees that I was painting a picture uh, for you guys, Um, and the fruits that come from that tree. If the weeds grow too high, how are we able to see the goodness that's in front of us? And really, that was obviously the whole mission of the apostles, was to combat that. And... Look how detailed the Chaldean fathers are. In the Basilica hymn, it says, the apostles uprooted the weeds. They didn't only cut them so they can grow again. They uprooted them so there's no longer growth or room for damage. And that's the attitude we need to have with sin, is we need to uproot those bad habits that we have. And the only way to uproot them is, I mean, to really get our hands dirty, find the root of it all, the root cause, and completely shun it from our lives. Well, now someone might say that if someone has a bad habit they've uh, been living in for a very long time, how they're able to do that? Well, it takes time, it takes prayer, and definitely takes the grace of God to uproot any bad habit, especially one that's been 
uh, a reoccurring bad habit in someone's life for a very long time. Now, I just want to touch base on that following sentence. So then it said, they planted instead of them the seed of their teaching. So they're showing how in order to combat these thorns and weeds, they need to be replaced by something good. And this is a pretty fundamental uh, philosophical principle of replacing a bad habit with a good one. So one is not able to simply rid themselves of a bad habit without replacing it with a good one. That's why when we're trying to uproot those weeds that I was telling you about, uproot sin from our lives, we need to first have a game plan uh, in order to do that. Another element to this is following the law. So St. Augustine says this, he says, the law was given so that we can see grace and grace was given so the law can be kept. And one thing I want to mention about this is a little story because sometimes the way we look at law could be misconstrued, especially when we look at the laws of God and natural law, because sometimes we can see that as a limitation to our freedom, but really it expounds and allows us to have an elaborated freedom and live a true and genuine free life. So when I was in seminary, one of the rules that I was not excited to follow was curfew. So before I joined, you know, I was dreading it. I was saying, how am I, you know, what am I, a kid? I'm joining the seminary to become a priest. How am I going to have a curfew? Uh, and I saw it as embarrassing, right? You know, I'm a grown man. I, would, I knew that if I was at someone's house visiting, I would have to say, you know, I need to get up, I need to go back to the seminary because of curfew, and I can't lie, you know, I can't say, you know, I'm tired, I want to go home. No, I had to, you know, tell them the, the truth. And I saw that as a limitation of my freedom. But as I started to mature in my seminary life and started to grow, and I obviously have way more room to grow in my life, but what I started to realize was why these statutes were given to us in seminary. So the rector of the seminary didn't give us those statutes so that we may be limited in freedom, but to allow us to live a life that has more freedom. And someone would ask, how is that so? So the reason why that happens is because we're human beings who are fallen and who are in need of structure. We're in need of certain statutes that guide us. And that's one of the reasons why Augustine quotes that, because God gives us a law so we can seek his grace in order to keep that law in our lives. Because without God's grace, we're not able to, number one, keep the law, or number two, understand why the law is given. And what we see in Paul's letter to Romans in chapter 2 he mentions how the law is written on the heart. So here he can be talking about one of two things. One thing he can be talking about is natural law. Because with natural law, you don't need, for example, in his case, to the audience he was preaching to, you don't need the Torah. You can use reason to understand the moral law. So he could either be talking about that, the natural law, or he can be talking about grace. And Thomas Aquinas geniusly uses Job as an example of this. Because Job is 
a righteous Gentile. He's not a Jew. And yet he is righteous because God is active in his heart. So what I'm trying to really get at here is understanding how the law works in our lives in order to conquer sin. So, going on with his Basilica hymn, it says, uh, With the light of their words, they quenched and destroyed the darkness of error that had seized the world. They preached the true faith in all the inhabited world. In the adorable name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the nature that is incomprehensible. So that's my take on this Basilica hymn for this week. Uh, Again, I hope you enjoyed it, but without further ado, you know what time it is. We have to get to the lion's den. So in recent news, the USCCB struck down a vote that was to vote to not give communion to politicians who are openly for abortion and for other uh, doctrines uh, that go against church teaching, specifically Catholics. And when this got struck down, obviously there was a lot of tension that I saw on Twitter and um, on different other news outlets. But uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, so there was a big controversy as to whether a Catholic minister should give communion to a politician who is outspokenly for abortion, something that is contrary to church teaching. Or if a politician is open about a certain, a certain other social topic that goes contrary to, to church teaching, should that person be able to receive the Eucharist? So on one end, Pope Francis commented on this, and mentioned that we shouldn't weaponize the Eucharist, which is true. I agree with him. But what ended up happening was there was a split within the bishops in the USCCB, some of them saying that we shouldn't weaponize the Eucharist and we should uh, follow certain procedures and have uh, a discussion about this rather than put it to a vote and vote that these people should not receive the Eucharist. Then there was the other end saying that this is you know, merely black and white. It's in canon law, it's in church teaching that someone who publicly goes against church teaching cannot receive the, the Eucharist in good standing because that person is detached from the grace of God and must first reconcile that relationship in order to receive communion again. Now, if someone is against church teaching but is not public about it, that's a different story. But what makes the biggest difference is someone that is outspoken about going against church teaching. Now, with canon law, as you know, I'm studying canon law, so I'm just going to spice it up a little with that. So in canon law, there is a certain procedure with uh, depriving someone of the Eucharist. And uh, the first step is to warn that person. So a big question during this discussion between the bishops and the USCCB is, were these people warned prior to wanting to not give them communion, or were they not? Or how are we able to warn all of these politicians who go, who go against church teaching? But one thing I want to mention is this, is that sometimes priests could get a sense 
on every Sunday Mass, and I'm sure every priest would agree with me, that maybe, maybe not everyone that approaches to receive the Eucharist every Sunday is, may or may not be the grace of God, may or may not have a mortal sin on their souls, because, you know, we see hundreds, thousands of people every weekend. So there is that uh, speculation as to whether or not everyone is has a pure soul to receive the Eucharist and is living in the grace of God. But we're not able to determine that because we're not able to judge the soul of others. But what makes it different is, and I said this before in prior Lion's Den segments, what makes a difference is thinking that we can bench our faith in order to elevate ourselves in the political sphere. We're not able to do that. You cannot receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus if you are living in sin, and especially if you're living in public sin that goes against church teaching. And what's unfortunate about all of this is politics, of course, you know, we're human beings. Uh, Politics does enter even things that have to do with ecclesiastical matters. And that's why, you know, you'll read read articles of, and I think this was an article uh, from the Diocese of New York where a priest denied a politician communion because I believe they were uh, publicly going against church teaching. And one week later, guess what happens? That priest gets transferred to another parish with another assignment. And you can sort of see why that happens is because Sometimes maybe it's fear playing a role in all of this, or maybe it's, I, I don't know, maybe it's just politics influencing uh, the decisions we make as a church. I'm not sure, but what I do know is, is we should really keep an eye out on this and first look at ourselves because we can't put ourselves in other people's shoes. We wouldn't know um, how we would be deciding if we were one of those bishops. But we should first concentrate on ourselves, on our souls, and make sure we approach the Eucharist with a pure heart and soul. And then we should try to raise awareness to those who attempt to receive the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Christ with mortal sin, and how grave of a matter this is. So, That is my episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said in the beginning, please give this podcast five stars, give it a comment. And if you have any questions, you know where to find me. But until then, see you next time.